I thank God for all who have led us so wonderfully in worship today. We are in the series of sermons called Ramifications of Resurrection. And we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 during this season of Eastertide when we celebrate Christ's resurrection from the dead. Today I want to draw your attention to 1 Corinthians 15 verses 21 through 28. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. And the title of the sermon is Living with the End in Mind. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that this does not include the one who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who put all things in subjection under him, so that God may be all in all. Let us pray. Lord God, in this preaching moment, I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word. Help them to hear your word. And Lord, help us all to do your word. I pray in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. There is wisdom in living with the end in mind. Just as the first movement of a symphony sets out toward the finale, just as the middle chapters of a novel press toward the conclusion, just as a long stretch of highway leads toward a destination, so there is meaning, purpose, and direction when life moves toward a clear end goal. But have you taken time to consider where life is headed lately? Have you paused to wonder where all of the alarm clock ringing and going to school and studying and practicing and eating and sleeping and going to work and running errands and budgeting and shopping and marrying and raising kids and vacationing and holidays and worshiping and praying and giving and serving and laughing and crying and sickness and healing and scrolling and binge watching and reading and voting and resting and retiring is all going? What is the goal of life? What is the end toward which existence 
is pressing. Death is an obvious answer, albeit disheartening. The grave is inevitable, inescapable, unavoidable. Life is always fatal. Even Lucille Randon, the world's oldest known person, died back in January at the age of 118. The death rate for human beings is still holding steady at 100%. If we are to live with the end in mind, then, we might consider the distinction between resume virtues and eulogy virtues. Author David Brooks writes, the resume virtues are the skills you bring to the marketplace. The eulogy virtues are the ones that are talked about at your funeral, whether you were kind, brave, honest, or faithful. Whereas resume virtues include education, skills, work experience, and awards, eulogy virtues are noteworthy character traits. Do we want to be remembered as loving, joyful, or humble? Do we want to be remembered as wise, friendly, or spontaneous? Last fall, when I was walking around Hollywood Cemetery, I noticed an epitaph for a man who died in the 1800s that simply said, who devoted his life to the relief of the suffering poor. Not a bad way to be remembered at all. This reminds me of Alfred Nobel the 19th century business tycoon who dealt in explosives and who invented dynamite. He became quite wealthy and owned almost a hundred factories where munitions and explosives were manufactured. When Nobel's brother Ludwig died, a French newspaper mistakenly thought Alfred had died and published a critical obituary calling him a merchant of death who had grown his fortune by inventing new ways to mutilate and kill. The paper corrected the error, but Nobel had already read his own unflattering obituary. A few years later, he signed his will leaving the vast majority of his estate to a series of prizes for persons who during the preceding year shall have conferred the greatest benefit on mankind. This is the reason why Nobel Prizes are still awarded annually, including the most famous of them all, the Nobel Peace Prize. Why would a trafficker in weaponry choose to leave this prize for peace? Historians suspect it was the experience of reading his own obituary partway through life and deciding he wanted to be remembered for something different. The Apostle Paul is not asking us to 
imagine our own obituary, but he is addressing the reality of death. While he's not asking us how we want to be remembered, he is seeking to change our perspective partway through life. Paul is revisiting the origin story of death, which explains why the grave awaits us all. Death came through a human being, he says. Death is the result of Adam's sin. Genesis 3 is in the background where God created Adam and Eve and set them in the beautiful garden of Eden. God told them they could eat from any tree there except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Adam and Eve both ate from that tree, disobeying God and committing the inaugural sin. Some blame Eve because she was first to eat, but Paul ascribes responsibility to Adam. As a result of their actions, God said, You are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is how Adam, the prototypical individual, Adam, the primordial person, Adam, the original human, paved the way of sin and death for the entire human race. It's important to recognize that the Hebrew name Adam literally means humankind. So scripture presents Adam not only as the first human, but also as the quintessential human, the archetypal human, the representative human. Not just Adam, but all humanity disobeys God. Not just Adam, but all humanity succumbs to temptation. Not just Adam, but all humanity gives in to evil. Not just Adam, but all humanity tastes the fruit of sin. Not just Adam, but all humanity is destined to die. Paul explains in Romans 5 that sin came into the world through one man and that death came through sin and that death spread to all because all have sinned. Our life is heading toward death our existence toward expiration, not just because of Adam's sin, but also because of our own. The whole of humanity exists in collective solidarity with Adam. His life is our life. His fate is our fate. His sin is our sin, and his death is our death. It reminds me of high school. My buddies and I would often go off-roading in their Jeeps and trucks. And one particular day after school, we drove to an area that was extremely muddy and quite hilly. My friend put his pickup in four-wheel drive, and the joyride began. Dirt was flying everywhere as the truck was bouncing around. We were having a big time yelling and shouting and carrying on until the vehicle came to a sudden halt. The wheels were still spinning, but the truck was going nowhere. My buddy got out, surveyed the situation, and came back with the report, well, we're stuck. 
Indeed, the more he spun his wheels, the more the truck sank into the mud. Uh, realizing that we could not get ourselves out, we called somebody with a winch. When the man arrived, he used the winch on his truck to pull my buddy's pickup out of the mud. We had gotten into such a mess that only someone outside of our situation could get us out. Likewise, we have all gotten into the truck with Adam, and we are stuck in a mess of sin and death. On our own, we spin our wheels and sink further into the muck. Our only hope is for someone outside of our situation to come and help us. And so, by the grace of our mighty God, Christ comes from heaven to earth to pull us out of the sinking mud, to free us from our pitiful plight, to save us from the mess of sin and death that we've gotten ourselves into. Since death came through a human being, says Paul, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. It turns out Adam isn't the only corporate personality who gathers others into his existence. Christ does too, but even more powerfully. Christ's obedience has overruled Adam's disobedience. Christ's righteousness has overruled Adam's unrighteousness. Christ's wisdom has overruled Adam's foolishness. Christ's goodness has overruled Adam's badness. Christ's grace has overruled Adam's sin. And Christ's resurrection has overruled Adam's death. When we put our faith in Christ and connect with Christ spiritually, He pulls us out of the old creation and into the new creation. He pulls us out of the old humanity and into the new humanity. He pulls us out of an existence that leads to death and into an existence that leads to resurrection. Paul was trying to convince the Corinthians of all this amid their multitude of various troubles, including immorality in the community, suing each other in a court of law, arguments about food, factions and divisions, tensions between different groups, and more. After discussing such matters throughout the letter of 1 Corinthians, Paul finally addresses in chapter 15 their disbelief in resurrection because all their other problems were tied to it. Without belief in the resurrection, their final goal and ethical guidepost was lost. Indeed, who cares how melodious a symphony is if it ends on a sour note? Who cares how compelling a novel is if the conclusion is off the mark? Who cares how convenient a road is if the destination is objectionable? Paul says in verse 32, Hey, if the dead are not raised... Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If life is just tumbling down a hill into the abyss of death, what's the point? But according to Paul, 
Death is not ultimate, only penultimate. Death is not last, only second to last. Death is not the end, for Christ has risen from the grave. Christ has gone right through the teeth of death and has come out the other side. And his resurrection is the first fruits, Paul says, of countless resurrections to come. Just as Adam represents all humankind, so Christ represents all believers. When we put our faith in Christ, his life is our life. His fate is our fate. His righteousness is our righteousness. And his resurrection is our resurrection. Not just Christ, but all believers are God's beloved children. Not just Christ, but all believers are justified in God's sight. Not just Christ, but all believers are resurrected from the dead to the life everlasting. This perspective is nuanced and profound, yet even a child can grasp it. When my daughter Nora was four years old, we were riding home together one night from church. I was in the front seat, she was in the back. And I told Nora that I would always be her daddy and that I would always love her and help her and support her as long as I'm alive and that even when I die, I will love her from heaven. She said from the back seat, and when Jesus alives us all, I will still be your little girl in heaven. That's what Paul's talking about here. When Jesus alives us all in the resurrection to everlasting life. Finally, Paul says, then comes the end. After death, after resurrection, then comes the end. The Greek term is telos, which means the fulfillment the completion, or the goal. Here is the end goal of life. Here is the end goal of history. Here is the end goal of creation. Here is the end goal of all things. When Christ comes and hands over the kingdom to God the Father. Notice that Adam is not the end, but Christ is. Death is not the end, but resurrection is. Sin is not the end, but God's kingdom is. Living with the end in mind, then, is not living with death in mind, but living with God's kingdom in mind. Living with the end in mind is consciously and confidently moving toward resurrection. Living with the end in mind is to deny fear and fear mongers the pleasure of our devotion. Living with the end in mind is to reject the temptation to focus solely on self-preservation. 
living with the end in mind is to love our neighbors as we await the never-ending realm of love. Living with the end in mind is to care for God's creation as we await God's new creation. Living with the end in mind is to allow joy to determine our disposition and hope to fuel our mindset. Living with the end in mind is to treat everybody with equitable dignity because that's how they'll be treated in God's kingdom. Living with the end in mind is to operate with the understanding that politics are important but not ultimate. That human authorities have power, but not ultimate power. And there is a transcendent realm and a transcendent ruler before whom we bow. Living with the end in mind is to pursue justice and peace for all people and to anticipate the divine kingdom where justice shall reign and peace shall prevail. Living with the end in mind is to aim our whole life, to aim the entirety of our existence toward the kingdom of God. I'm reminded of when I first started learning how to drive. (laughs) I would sometimes steer the car slightly from side to side as I was going down the road because I was looking down to the right to see the white line. I was looking down to the left to see the yellow lines to try to make sure I was staying in my lane. And one day, my dad was riding with me in the front seat, and he realized the problem. And he told me that the way to stay in your lane when you're on the highway is to keep your head up and look farther down the road. You shouldn't be looking down to the side of the car or even just a few feet beyond the hood of the car. Rather, when you're out on the highway, you should have your head looking up into the distance. He explained that this will help you to stay in your lane and drive safely and steadily and straightly as you continue on your way. Friends, Paul is saying that if we lift our sights and look a little farther down the road... We can stay on the path God has laid out for us. If we lift our sights and look a little farther down the road, we can minimize our swerving as we continue on our way. If we lift our sights and look a little farther down the road, we can avoid veering into trouble. If we lift our sights and look a little farther down the road, we can stay the course in our belief and our behavior. If we lift our sights and look a little farther down the road, we can stay on track in our spiritual journey. If we lift our sights and look a little farther down the road, we can see that at the end of this long stretch of highway is a destination that is well worth the trip. If we lift our sights and look a little farther down the road, we can see that all the alarm clock ringing and going to school and studying and practicing and eating and sleeping and going to work and running errands and budgeting and shopping and marrying and raising kids and vacationing and holidays and worshiping and praying and giving and serving and laughing and crying and sickness and healing and scrolling and binge watching and reading and voting and resting and retiring is all headed toward resurrection, not death, toward everlasting life, not inevitable demise, toward the kingdom of God, 
where Christ shall reign forever and ever and where love shall prevail always. Amen. If you have never